things have changed. Suddenly there were things like, well, he can go fuck himself to prick. <laughs> Asshole trying to make a counter-argument when there isn't one proper tit him, whoever he is. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. Things, things have changed here. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco. People's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, I have a bad shave. Hello comrades and you're very welcome to the football spin. Football spin on Thursday morning. Um pack show coming up we're going to be talking about playoffs we're going to be talking about fans back in stadiums as well but before all that Dion Fanning is here Noradine Chowdhury is here good morning chaps how are you all feeling good Paddy how are you good 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 I'm good Dion I'm pretty yeah. good yeah uh eventful couple of days Dion really uh, for... really something oh, happened yeah. oh. you, you have to give you you have a baby <laughs> move house <laughs> R.I.P. my mentions, Dion. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, so, yeah, um, Dion and I went head-to-head at the weekend. Leighton Baines versus Ashley Cole. And, Dion, I'll be honest, when we put the video up on Monday or Tuesday of this week, I, I had a bit of a sick feeling in my stomach because, you know, I thought mostly people are going to go with Dion. And, and, as it, and as it happened, as the social media war unfurls, there were a lot of... A lot of people saying I was wrong, stupid, blinkered. Um, one chap, Mister Booger Boogerball, saying I should never be allowed to speak on the show again. Which I, you know, I, I accept. I take his feedback on board, and uh, it was definitely, it definitely felt like it was going very much in your direction. And then uh, Nas got involved, sent up the uh, Leighton Baines. Bat signal, and then over the hill rode the the toffee cavalry, and in they came. And <laughs> exactly what I'd hoped for, Dion, they confirmed uh, exactly what I had put forward. That yes, indeed, forget everybody else. Forget we're not just Ashley Cole. I think all the left backs that were mentioned: Dennis Irwin, Stuart Pearce, uh, Gail Clichy. He got a mention, and and everybody right up to Nicky Shorey, essentially. But forget them all, Leighton Baines is indeed the king and the greatest left-back at the moment. So how are you feeling after your um, tonking at the hands of the Toffee fans? Well, I, I'm going to just, uh, there's a, there was a, a message there. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, I saw it go up and then I just, I stepped away. I felt, you know, my work here is done. Uh, you know, I, I have the backing of the people on Twitter and nothing else matters, as we know. Uh, and uh, you know, I thought that's that's fine. And then, and then I I, I missed uh, Nas's uh, intervention. I missed that. that, <laughs> that, that and next thing I you know I, I as I say logged on to Twitter again, and I got suddenly so hold on something's it happened was, here. It, it was it was a second wave. <laughs> it was a second wave. Things, <laughs> things have changed. Suddenly there were things like, well, he can go fuck himself to prick. <laughs> Asshole trying to make a counter argument when there isn't one proper tit him, whoever he is. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. Hold on. Hold on a second now. Things things have changed here, uh, and uh, you know we're not going to we're not going to relitigate the Leighton Baines Ashley. No, uh, but, not today. Um, no, it was quite a quite a quite an insight into um, and, the, and also an insight into how much I, I honestly. 
I could, I, how much people care about who, like, about debates which can never be won, you know, and that arguments that can never be settled, and how passionate people get about things that ultimately, in the scheme of things, are completely irrelevant. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, kind of boring, I find. Like, who was the greater player? Who was the better player? Like, it's not something that uh, uh, I, you know, I, I spend a huge amount of time. Maybe this is, this is, what, uh, this is what he means when he says, um, you know, whoever, you know, proper tit, him, whoever he is, he probably thinks I should be thinking more about it, but I'm not. But it is it is amazing because I suppose when you do see somebody say something that you feel is wrong on this, it, it, it sort of it sort of it sort of pricks something in you that kind of goes right. I, I must I must take note of that. I must take note of that <laughs> wrong wrong opinion and just sort of put it in my sort of you know my mental files. But it is amazing uh, how how engaged and how enraged people get by uh, by by something like this. Um, and uh, um, and I'd even forgotten about Dennis Irwin when we had the debate because, to be honest, Paddy, I wasn't even really listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I'll let Paddy have his Leighton Baines thing here. Like you know, it's, I just let him go off on that. And uh, and then I just heard the words, you know, the best left back in the history of the Premier League. And again, if if you when I listen, like it took me some time to, <laughs> did. to compute that. I was like. You know, and then I was like, okay, okay, hold on a second. But, uh, you know, I, I obviously I was completely right. But, um, but the uh, the uh, response has been, has, has been, has been very interesting. Well, credit where it's you, Dion. You've taken your social media tanking with good grace. <laughs> EFL, 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 championship corner time and it's it's great because now right now chaps the championship takes all the attention and we're down to the brass tacks the playoffs which as we all know from seasons gone by are always really exciting brilliant games full of incident and in fact in fairness last night wasn't any different Brentford who are through to the championship playoff final after almost throwing it away against Fulham last night in what was a really brilliant game of football, really exciting, and exactly everything you'd hoped for. Um, and they'd been on a bit of a, a bit of a losing streak, but they pulled it around. Uh, Dean, what did you make of last night's uh, semi-final win for Brentford over Swansea? Well, I think it was. Um, it is. It is pretty extraordinary that Brentford have uh, have turned around because they did. As you, like they they lost their final two games in in the in the championship in the league, and they lost the first leg of the playoff. Uh, and having looked like a team that were going to, uh, you know, they could claim automatic promotion, they 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 seem to be one of those teams that was going to fall out of it uh, during the playoffs. So they turned around and they are, are excellent. They're they're they they do play, um, they play some really really good football and. Uh, an exciting team to watch, and then they also have Pontus Janssen to uh, to contribute with the occasional uh, 
you know, his, you know, he did, he did contribute hugely and give us a sense that maybe Swansea were back, uh, back in the game and the Brewster finish then was, um, was exceptional. So, uh, yeah, it was a good game. Um, and again, as you say, like it does, there is always something that all the playoff, all the playoff, uh, games in whatever division are, are always interesting, but the championship playoff is, um, is, uh, is is all is is particularly fascinating. You know, they they, they always build a flat final as whatever amount of money they're going to earn in in the Premier League, um. But it is, does seem like you know it's uh, like it's kind of the end result. Like it's like there's been some mass brawl outside a nightclub, uh, and like you know, which which is announced they're only going to let like two more people in, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah. And like you know, at the end of it, like you know, two you know, one guy sort of staggers up, lip bloodied, nose broken, and kind of you know demands to be let in. And like that's what the kind of playoffs are like. It's sort of this uh, exhaustive process to kind of to get into the Premier League, and you know, and 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 in very many instances, get into the Premier League very briefly, and then return to the Championship. Uh, Nas, they have um, Brentford have an enigmatic overseas coach. They have they play really good football. Um, they're they would obviously add more local derbies in because they're London based. They'd be they'd be a good addition to the Premier League. Um, they sound a little bit too much like Bournemouth to me. Just <laughs> just right. like. Just like it's it's another one of those teams that I don't I do not know enough about. Like there's there's um there's there's a little bit of a there's always a little bit of an interest when a, when a new sort of club comes in who's not been in the Premier League for a, for a while or like it's not a returning club. Um, but a lot of that has to do with the like the the flavor that they bring, their own sort of style of play, their own type of fans, um, the stadium, the history, and everything. But like. Am I correct in thinking that they're moving? They're moving to a new stadium. Yeah, moving to a new stadium for next season. It's their last game at Griffin Park. See, I, I, I can totally understand. Like from their point of view, like that is just perfect timing because obviously moving to a shiny new stadium in the Premier League, it's all it's all comes together perfectly. But I do think I do think from from a from a supporter's point of view in the Premier League, that's a little bit of a blow. But just because you you want to experience these places. And and I, and I don't mean like in a really condescending, patronising way. Like you genuinely want to learn about um, what that club's about, and nothing exemplifies that better than the stadium, and especially if it's a, if if it's a traditional sort of uh, ground. So that's that's a bit of a blow. But yeah, like uh, I uh, the whole the whole uh, Pontus uh, Janssen thing sort of it, it's given me hope that they could add their own flavour because that was that was incredible. Like I, I, that, that was that that just cheered me up so much. Like you talk about falling out of love uh, with football for a bit, for a bit, just because there's so much of it, and it got a bit boring towards the end of the season. That was beautiful. Like like they should, they, do you know they've got the Puskas Award. They, they should invent a new award, like the David Luiz Award or something, just because that was beautiful. Like, that that was like that was like beyond anything David Luiz has done. The, the way the way it was a hopeful ball forward, and he tries a back heel flick. It was just incredible, and 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 the fact that he after he did it, and obviously Brewster scored, uh, he starts shouting at everyone else. I thought, I thought this guy is special. This this guy is potentially box office. And then and then I, I had a look at the because obviously like uh, Bielsa let him go from Leeds, 
and I had a look at what the Leeds fans were saying about it, and and apparently he's this is all part of his character. They they were saying, oh, are, are you surprised at all that Janssen's done something like this? Like like this was the guy that was doing Cruyff turns in crucial games. So I think that that in itself has filled me with excitement. The, the only the only downside is when Brewster scored, and it was a lovely finish, and he he looks like a proper talent. Is that um, I was just I was just. I was wondering, could we could we get the headlines? Because obviously, like Dion said, it's um, it's cited, it's always sort of talked about in terms of money. But obviously, you've got the Brewster's Millions headline. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a it's a miss for the headline writers. It's, there it really is, and, and and also it could be it could have been raining money. There's so many there's so many connotations with with that name. So it's it that's that's the great lost headline. But uh, we just got to be brave. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think Swansea. I think we like. I didn't feel any excitement at the idea of Swansea being back in the Premier League. To be honest, I think we've had that, uh, we've had that that narrative, and uh, I do think I think Brentford. It is a shame they're leaving um, Griffin Park. It is I like they they referenced it in the commentary last night, but it's probably one of the most uh, recognisable. It's probably a ground that more people have seen than nearly any other ground in England, except they don't know where it is because it is directly over the uh, Heathrow flypath. So when you fly into Heathrow, you fly over Brentford. So everyone will have seen this football ground without knowing uh, you know, whose it is or, 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 uh, or where it even is, really, because it's, uh, it's kind of one of those, like, I, you know, it's, one of, it's that ground you kind of pass when you're, if you're kind of getting, you know, a kind of cab out to to Heathrow, you'll you'll you know, taxi drivers will often going to take a rat run down around near Brentford, and you'll you'll fly past, you know, you'll fly past Griffin Park, and uh, and it is a shame that there. And you know, Nantes has a shiny new stadium, and uh, you know, it is. It's kind of I looked. I was looking at their stadium today, and it's really it's funny. Like the stadium, the stadium. Uh, arms race is, is so escalated now that like I looked at their stadium and they you know they have a nice little you know you can do a virtual tour and you know sit in the premier seats and all this kind of stuff and doing it I was like you know is that it like is that what you is that what you got uh it's kind of underwhelming these days unless you have like a, a Tottenham Hotspur stadium unless you've got your own cheese room uh, you know all those kind of things that Tottenham are promising. Unless you get to that scale, it just seems like well, we've seen a lot of these stadiums before. Now it's probably from Brentford's point of view, it's a very good thing. But Griffin Park was was a kind of historic stadium without being a, a, without being somewhere like if you look at Fulham coming back in Craven Cottage, which is a beautiful old ground and a lovely uh, a stadium that is that kind of. Uh, reeks of a, of of history. Um, Griffin Park is less um, is less familiar, but it has got little idiosyncrasies that I think football fans would understand. It's got a a pub on every corner of the ground, which I think would be something. Uh, which is a nice little nice little touch. I don't know if they're replicating that at the new stadium, but uh, it's got a pub on every corner. Which it'll, is, it'll probably be a bistro, Dion. Yeah, instead of a pub. Yeah, with these I, interviewed, I, interviewed, I interviewed Stan Bowles. I interviewed Stan Bowles uh, in uh, when he was promoting his autobiography. I interviewed him, um, and the, the plan was to meet him at eleven o'clock in I can't remember which pub it was. One of the pubs uh, on the on one on the one of the corners of the Grand, um, and I always remember it because he was 
he was late and everyone knew him in the pub and he was late and everyone was saying, it's not like Stan to be late. He's never late. He's a very punctual man. And, uh, and I was kind of wondering then, why was he so punctual? Like, is it because, cause start, you know, they, the famous line about Stan Bowles was if he, could, if he could pass a bookies the way he could pass a ball, he'd have no problem. And I was wondering, like, was punctuality kind of, was that, was that interwoven with, it, with, it, with his gambling? Like, because if you're trying to put money on a horse race, you've got to be there on time. Um, but uh, Stan was late and he finally showed up 45 minutes late and it turned out he was at, and this, I imagine this happened a lot, he was at one of the other pubs. He, he thought we were meeting at the, you know, the, 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 the three bells on the, you know, on the west corner, you know, on the, on the far, in the north corner. And I was at the, you know, the, uh, the dog and duck on the, uh, on the south corner. So, uh, I wonder how often, you know, little mistakes like that happen. Lovely little charming stories like that. Uh, I, th- I, I, I thought it was going to go the other way. I, I thought it was going to be you were at the wrong pub and then it, 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 this essentially becomes some kind of chariot sapphire thing where you're, you're doing a one-minute mile around the stadium to each pub to find him. To find well, yeah, well, well, one of us was in the wrong pub. Stan <laughs> graciously said he was in the wrong pub. But, uh, uh, you, know, we were, you, you know, we were both in the wrong pub, if you like. But it's... Uh, but it's um, no. I think it's a shame that 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 that, uh, that that they're leaving Griffin Park for. Um, you know, I, I do I I do feel, uh, and I felt that you know, I remember QPR, who of course are are uh, Brentford's local rivals. They like they they were talking um, during their time in the Premier League. They had plans to move to a new, a new stadium and get out of of Loftus Road because it was, uh, it was. Um, Kind of you know limiting them, and uh, you know that always seemed like a kind of, and I think they're still planning to do it, but that always seemed like a kind of mistake because uh, I I don't know what you gain. I think you lose you lose so much as a football club um, by moving to a new stadium compared compared to what you gain, and you even look at the biggest clubs. You look at uh, if you look at Manchester United and Liverpool, say, compared to Arsenal, United and Liverpool both developing Old Trafford and Anfield, whereas Arsenal moving from Highbury to the Emirates and how long that process has taken compared to uh, what United or what Liverpool... You know, if you look at Liverpool under Hicks and Gillette, there was plans to build... And even before that, there was all these plans to move into new stadiums in Stanley Park and one of them would have been a pretty bog standard uh, stadium. Then Hicks and Gillette had massive plans for something more elaborate. But you look back in that now, you think what an error that would have been to abandon Anfield. And you look at some of the nights they've had at Anfield. You look at the Barcelona game, stuff like that. They've games they've had at Anfield under Klopp, and maybe they would have been the same somewhere else. But I doubt it. Um, and it's. It's a mistake to really give up a lot of that. It really is. And Brent, you know, and Brentford's history is different, and it's not. It's it's they haven't been in the in the top flight in England since nineteen forty seven, but it is their history, and uh, and I think that's it is. It's something that uh, you kind of you you lose a lot when you when you when you make those moves. It's it's it's, it's interesting you mentioned QPR and uh, and uh, Liverpool in the same breath because I've got a. I've got a major bone of contention with QPR because yeah. 
And 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 Liverpool are partly to blame because Liverpool have famously got uh, this is Anfield, and obviously that's meant to be iconic and it's meant to intimidate people and inspire the players. Um, for some reason, um, other clubs think that they can do exactly the same thing and it will work as well. And QPR all across their stadium have got "We are QPR." This is Loftus Road. Like, who who gives a shit? Like, who who do you think that's intimidating? Who do you think that's inspiring? Like, j- just the emphatic "We are QPR." This is Loftus Road. That's not intimidating. That's a reminder for people who who who've got dementia. Like, like it makes it makes no sense on any level. But they, it's just it's it's this um it's this idea you can just transpose. Uh, another club's iconic uh, phrase, and it'll fit just as well. Like, who, who cares? You're at Loftus Road. Nice one. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, no, I, I agree. Like it. No, but I do think, actually, Loftus Road at the same time, now, it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't always, it hasn't always helped QPR, but a, a packed Loftus Road um, is, a, is a really, is, is a great kind of football occasion. It's, uh, when QPR were in the Premier League, and you had big, you know, when when big teams came there, there's a it's an incredibly intimate uh, atmosphere with the crowd like hanging over, hanging over the players. Like if you ever like it, you know, the, at the at the away end at Loftus Road, you do feel like you're actually above the players, um, and that's a great old football feeling, uh, which I don't think gets recreated. I saw. Uh, Somebody tweeting last night the picture of the you know the the, the floodlights going into Griffin Park and the old the old traditional floodlights and the QPR has the same thing as well and you come around these streets and you see these old fashioned floodlights when you're walking down there for a night game and it does something to you it does something to you it kind of makes you it connects without getting incredibly overblown on it it connects you to a whole network of feelings about football. And memories about football, and uh, you know what? What you know? And it's not just about one ground. Then it takes you from one place to another place, um, and those things you go, you give up those things. You can give up those things too easily. You really can surrender those things too easily um, in pursuit of something which may not actually be achievable anyway. And like if QPR, for example. Uh, you know, move to a new stadium. If they were in a new stadium now, maybe like they they would have more money coming in and they would be back in the Premier League. But I don't think they would be. Uh, I think they would they would be losing something more important. Fulham are another good example. Like Fulham, Fulham's redevelopment of Craven Cottage uh, never really took off because, and it was a good thing because if you if you'd taken away those stands uh, at Fulham. You'd lose something. That's that's part of what that club is, and it's part of what makes people want to go there. And maybe it doesn't bring in revenue, um, like you would want it to, but it actually creates creates an identity for your club. Which, if you give up that identity, what are you? Mm. I mean, obviously, it's a huge challenge for a lot of clubs that go through that. Spurs have been through it. Everton are going through it at the moment as well. Is that you have to give up something special like Goodison Park or White Hart Lane, the Emirates, excuse me, uh, Highbury. I was shocked when I saw Highbury um, in a recent Arsenal match mm. being converted to um, apartments. Uh, the camera panned over from the Emirates into Highbury and 
it was like they've they've maintained the stands because obviously mm. they're they're listed buildings. But I was like, oh my god, look at Highbury, this cathedral of football, and now it's not just apartments, but it's just apartments. <laughs> like with the pitch in the center is now like a communal area for the yeah. residents. Actually, I thought it looked it looked kind of amazing, but it's not a football stadium. Yeah. It was just such a such a shock to see it. I was like, whoa, my God, there it is. And it did, like, to see the stand still as the stand was is obviously a feat of engineering and incredible that they managed to maintain that and do that. But, yeah, it definitely is a remnant of a time gone by. Um, in fairness to Brentford, looking at their stadium, they've kept it pretty compactly on just 17,000 capacity on the new stadium, which they will share with London Irish Rugby. So It looks some... like a rugby stadium. Yeah. I was just I, I was just having a look here at Craven Cottage and uh, and it does look as if like the main uh, the main parts of it are Grade Two listed. So I think we I think we're safe on that. Right, I, don't, right. I don't think we can pull out. But I suppose I suppose Highbury was 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 uh, listed as well. Same. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. But they just they just let went somewhere else. Yeah. But, uh, um, no, I don't. I understand it, and it, and it's there. There are there are cases to be made. Uh, on, on both sides of it but I just think it's something you need to um, in a lot of these things in so many of these things it's you know decisions are made because we must do this because other people are doing it and we must uh, you know we must ensure that we have revenue coming in in a certain way but actually at some point you have to ask like you know what what do you gain and what do you lose if you if you go down that road Okay, um, speaking about the the specialness of being in a football ground watching a football match, which hasn't been the case for sports fans and football fans, um, obviously since the onset of uh, the global pandemic. And it will not be the case when leagues start back at the start of September because um, the UK government sports minister, Nigel Huddleston, has confirmed that they are working towards an October 1st date to get fans back in the stadium even at that stage it obviously won't be full capacities it'll be socially distanced and there'll be reduced numbers in there um Dion how important is it that 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 happens and the fans are back in the stadium um well it's important from the point of view of football but in the overall scheme of things uh I don't know how important it is because uh if you look at the way things are going um uh in around Europe and in terms of increased cases and things like that, you wonder if when you get to October the first if this will seem like like a real practical thing that you can do because uh we're going to be while coronavirus doesn't seem to actually be seasonal um everybody agrees that it's going to be because of flu and other things that do come along in the winter. Uh, it may be more desirable to have more social distancing um, at that time than we than we even have now. So while it's very important, I think everyone would agree that uh, everyone has kind of you know the 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 empty stadiums thing has you know hasn't it hasn't it's it's something we've become used to. Whilst I don't think ever really. Um, uh, living with like living with in a way that we kind of you 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 can ever switch off switch sort of ignore the fact that there are empty stadiums there i think it's it's something that's kind of uh, uh, ever present as a kind of reminder that things aren't quite right um but i don't know what will ha- what will what will have happened in 
in on October the first. Like British British government seemed to be intent on kind of moving on with things and getting things going. Uh, although there are, you know, obviously they've now introduced quarantine from if you come back from Spain, um, and there's talk about other countries, uh, and all this seems to like I'm kind of staggered uh, when you look at the news and you see people. There seems to be. I I missed I missed the uh, uh, enunciation of human rights, which included the human right to go on a foreign holiday, uh, because it seems to be you know like every every night I turn on the BBC News and there are people kind of up, uh, outraged that they are being denied their their God given right to go on a foreign holiday, um, in the face of a of a of a of a pandemic, um, which is is, is killing uh, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, so, uh, like if you can't grasp why maybe this year is not the year to go on a foreign holiday, maybe you, 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 you won't understand why in October they'll say, well, we can't let fans back in or we have to postpone it. But from the point of view of football, it does need, it, it does need fans. I saw Barry Glendening had a good column in the Guardian about this saying, this has, this should be a case. This should be a point where fans actually realize their power and understand what power they have in a football sense because uh, they've been treated, you know, between TV scheduling, prices, everything like this, they've been treated so badly for so long. Uh, and yet without them, you're left with this, with this kind of football that is like, we talked about it in the context of Bournemouth Leicester, unfortunately, but it is like that Sunday night fear like that's what that's one of the feelings I think that everyone are that they're, they're, that all games are kind of uh, flecked by that they seem like to be just just games that you you kind of there's something wrong there's something kind of just that can give you a little bit of anxiety around them and, and this is uh, and this is the absence of fans and I think when you go back to the championship you'll notice it hugely on the on the on the playoff finals because uh, those games are are incredible games at Wembley because they are usually there there is less but compared to say an England international Wembley or even an FA Cup final um it is enti- it is almost entirely made up of supporters of the two clubs and uh there's less of a corporate element so those playoff championship playoff final uh is an amazing example of you know how much clubs mean to their supporters and without them it it can be it can be just be a kind of a shell, but I don't know. October first, uh, ideally you'll have some fans back, but we don't know where uh, we're going to be at that stage. And it may be that people are are putting their their foot on the brake at that point. Naz, uh, at the start of this in in March, obviously there was a lot of focus on a couple of sporting events that were happening as the pandemic was going from an epidemic to a pandemic and the WHO were coming out and issuing their warnings about it. Countries were beginning to lock down. And the two that I'm thinking of are Cheltenham and Atletico Madrid against Liverpool at Anfield. So there is definitely um, understandable fear. I know I, I, when I hear about people going back into stadiums, that's where my mind goes anyways. Those kind of huge mass events that we know, we know have, have definitely contributed to the spread of coronavirus, even though they're outdoors. I mean, what we know about the British government as well is that a lot of their messaging around 
this kind of a public safety, a public health is about personal responsibility. So I assume that when the st- if this plan is in place, that a lot of this will be on fans to ensure that they maintain social distancing and whatever guidelines are in place. It will be up to fans to do that. Like football is a passionate game. Like we know that when fans celebrate, they celebrate in 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 communion together. Like it is going to be, no matter how you look at it, incredibly difficult to bring fans back into a stadium, even if it is loads of like guidelines and advice and like empty seats and all that kind of stuff, isn't it? It is, but um, I mean, I, I've got a bit of an issue about the way that this is being uh, framed by the government and uh, by the sports minister, uh, Nigel uh, Huddleston, in that it's it just seems to be another example of um, vague guidance and also they're almost preparing the the scene to criticise football fans if it goes wrong. Yeah. And it, and it goes it goes back to this thing of like if if we had a competent government who we could trust and had, and had shown that they know how to deal with this situation properly, um, there'd be there'd, there'd be far less um, uh, fear or, or or sort of anxiety about what's going to happen because you'd kind of think okay the government has told us this state is okay therefore I believe the government because they've done things right or they know what they're doing or they've spoken to the experts. And 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 it's a little bit like where the government are saying, right, you can have two sort of family bubbles that can meet together now, or you can meet indoors, or you can or you can go to you can go to um, various events uh, as long as these rules are apply uh, are, are adhered to. On one hand, you kind of think that's fair enough. On the other hand, you think I don't fucking trust you. Like 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 we all seem like guinea pigs, and if it goes wrong. The government aren't going to say we made a mistake. The government are going to blame the people, and and it's this whole thing about the government. This government seem intent on blaming the public and framing the public whenever possible, whenever whenever something's going wrong during this pandemic. And football fans in particular are seen as as lesser than than the general public. It's um we talk about the Thatcher and 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 and, and when football fans were basically treated as if they were subhuman and spoken about as if they were subhuman but there's still there's still a there's still a hangover from that and there's this even the way that they they sort of phrase it like like um you've you've got a uh, Huddleston talking about um there's there'll be trials in in there's obviously already trials in cricket and there'll be trials in snooker and and, and sports like that and then he, and then and then when talking about football he goes there are particular challenges people have got to realize that if you don't behave uh, you won't you won't have more people in the stadiums. They've got to take personal responsibility and realize that if you don't have, behave properly, you are risking you are risking the game for everybody. Now, the, the the cheek to say that, the gall to say that after everything that's happened, um, after, after members of the government have been sort of, uh, or, or government advisors have been completely ignoring rules and doing whatever the fuck they like, to, to then to then talk about football fans in terms of oh well you've got to behave. That's the language he's using there. Strikes me as 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 a government that's that's preparing the ground for for if if it does result in um in in an outbreak or it does result in in in, in a spread or the or the or the R number going up the the R number that's magically disappeared all of a sudden, then what they'll do is they blame the public the same way they blame the public about beaches the same way they they'll blame the public about Leicester or or Blackburn or Rochdale. 
it's it's the government who should be held to account, but this government don't give a shit about that. What they give give a shit about is spinning it and blaming other people. So whether it's September, whether it's October, um, who, we'll have to wait and see. But I've got no confidence in the government, and I've got far less uh, confidence in the government being accountable if things don't go right. Um, and 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 that's what that's what that's what essentially concerns me the most out of all of this is that football fans will be blamed. It'll be like you did not behave, you didn't know, you didn't do what you meant to do. Whereas what the government should be doing is looking at uh, behavioral science, how fans will behave, because because that's the whole point of behavioral science. They can model how 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 people will behave within a stadium, even even within different sports, how they celebrate, how they how they commune outside the grounds, how they socialize. How they verbalise their sort of uh, celebrations or whatever, because because obviously like like a snooker and even and even cricket is very different to football, both in terms of how many exciting moments happen within w- within a game, and also um, how people express their express that enjoyment. So so they will have all that information, and they've got to get it right. It's not it's not on the public or on the football fans to get it right. It's on them. There's there's personal responsibility in terms of obviously you don't go. Hugging everyone and snogging everyone and and starting fights, but it's on the government. Yeah, it is. I suppose it is on the government. I think the um, the uh, the interesting thing about the UK and the confusion there. I think everyone is in a, in every country is is suffering some form of confusion now because nobody because this is always going to be a more confusing time when you when you ease lockdown and you different different kind of messages um but as Noah says everything in the uk is compounded because there is no authority from a government which has uh seemed to be making it up as it goes along and um absolving you know people like dominic cummings from uh responsibility for you know making seeming to follow rules that were different to the rules everyone else was following at the time and then you do and there is a direct line from that to situations where people seem to be amazed uh that when they go on holiday that the country they're on holiday from can actually now be put into a state uh into a category where you have to quarantine when you come back and that seems to have taken people by surprise when it's a completely it's actually not the incorrect thing to be doing like it's it's probably the right thing to be doing and more of it is going to happen and we've seen it in ireland where uh foreign travel has become this uh huge talking point and you know because ireland is very reluctant to to and nobody in ireland people in ireland are being encouraged not to go uh on foreign holidays uh and and that is that is the sort of very clear while there 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 are, there are nuances to it Below that, the very clear um, instruction is: we would rather you didn't go on a, on a foreign holiday this year. And it seems to be quite a that seems to be quite a straightforward message. Where in Britain, everything uh, is more is more complicated, perhaps because they 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 they're more determined to get the aspects of the economy moving. Although, if you have to shut it down again, um, that's not going to work. Um, but I do think. Like the personal responsibility thing uh, comes into it in certain regards, as well as like in in Ireland, you know, pub. Like you you look at anybody who talks about this, and they'll tell you that pubs, uh, I pubs are their highest, uh, one of the highest risk categories of places to go. Um, so, to my mind, that means don't go to pubs, even if they're open. Don't go to pubs. Uh, 
But because they're open, people think, well, they're open, I'm going to go to the pub. Uh, and maybe you should just shut them then. But don't, don't, you don't have to go. Just, you don't have to go to a pub. You don't have to post a picture of your pint on social media. Um, and uh, you, know, you can take some personal responsibility in that regard, having taken some lead from your leaders. Now, in the UK, that isn't present, so it makes everything more confusing. Um, but I, I think Nas is right. Like, you know, when you see, when you see a, a government minister saying that you know, fans can ruin it, for, ruin, ruin it for everybody, I think that's, uh, you know, it's, it's rich coming from them when, when, they've, uh, when they've led the way they have led. I wonder if you will see scenes. I don't think you will in the short term. Like, I know we've seen stuff around... Liverpool celebrating after match after the title, Leeds celebrating after promotion, but I don't know if you'll see. I don't know if there'll be a a, a huge, um, you know, I might be wrong about this, but I don't think you will see that kind of willingness to engage in sort of mass gatherings by huge section. You know, there are still enough people fearful of of that that I think it will be very different if. If stadiums reopen in October, I think you know even with so you know whatever social distancing they bring in, it'll be a very different style of of congregation then, and for you know at least you know most of next season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at this full stadiums at the moment in the world, New Zealand have done it, but also they eradicated COVID nineteen from their country with very strict. Um, procedures around people entering the country and leaving the country and strict quarantining and that sort of stuff. So um, stadiums are obviously, there's something that has to be figured out and um, it will be, uh, it'll be interesting to see what the British government have in mind. Okay, let's move on. And uh, we'll end with this one. This is the Newcastle takeover, um, which has been, <laughs> it's been a bit of a saga to say the very least has been rumbling on for months. And um, the Saudi, uh, takeover bid is still um, in consideration and British MP Kate Osborne has gotten involved, Dion, and she wants the she wants the Premier League to get the finger out. Make a decision. She does she does uh um like it is it is taking a very long time and uh there's there's a remarkable story on on this in the in the in the mirror where it says that Kate Osborne, MP for Jarrow has stepped into the row after being approached by Toon Army, who have become tormented by the four-month-long process. The Toon Army, like as if they're, it kind of gives me that this is an actual army mobilized somewhere that has been sitting somewhere waiting, waiting for battle, and they're like, "Come on!" Uh, and um, and uh, she has written to the Premier League chief executive Richard Masters, saying, "Northeast football supporters are under mental anguish." Due to the proposed Newcastle takeover, I'm not writing to put pressure on you to make pressure. I'm not writing to pressure you to make a decision one way or the other. Newcastle fans have been put through an unnecessary roller coaster, which is causing anger and stress in the communities I represent. I represent thousands of Newcastle United supporters who, after 16 weeks of waiting, continue to be on tender hooks to hear the decision that will determine their club's future. Football is a passion and means a lot to people in the area. Football supporters spend a lot of hard-earned money on their club. The length of time this is taking is putting immense stress on many Newcastle fans across the constituency of Jarrow. Uh, now, I, we understand 
everyone knows how much Newcastle United means to supporters of Newcastle and how uh, it can exercise emotions and how vital it is in the community and how, and she's right when she said how much money people spend on it in, you know, in Newcastle supporters, how much money they spend on their club and how engaged they are by it. But equally, I think it's something where you're going to go, okay, uh, there, there are a number of considerations in this Saudi takeover. Um, and if you're going to bring the mental anguish of Newcastle United supporters into it, then you have to talk about other things and you have to say, well, there are, there are other factors. The Saudi, if you, if you're, the Saudi Arabian human rights aspect has to come into it then, surely. Uh, because the, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not doubting the... Uh, the emotion people feel about about Newcastle, but I think when you talk in terms like that, you need to be very careful about what you're using because you actually uh, you're kind of diminishing. You're using you're using terms like mental language. You're actually diminishing um, what those terms can mean from people who actually suffer truly with those with with, with concepts like that. And I uh, and I you know lots of things can can lead to torment and lead to mental anguish. But I think if, if it's something like Newcastle United, you have to actually think, right, is my response to this proportionate? Is my response to this proportionate? Not do something about the stress and mental anguish I'm feeling by giving me what I want. But is my response to this proportionate and in perspective, given everything else that, that matters in the world and everything else that matters in terms of this purchase and takeover? We should wrap up there. Absolute pleasure as ever, chaps. Thanks very much, Dion Fanning, uh, Nordine Chowdhury. And uh, thanks to you for listening as well. If you haven't already done so, click subscribe so that you will never miss a show. Um, we'll talk again soon. We'll be back on the Football Spin later in the week. Good luck. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco. People's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, I have a bad shape.